It's another episode of Almost an Hour with Henrik Stenson, presented by Callaway Golf. And today, Henrik, we have the toughest test yet. You've just traveled transcontinentally from San Francisco back home to Sweden. I'm just hoping you can stay awake for most of the hour. Yeah, uh, to be honest, uh, I was struggling before we got on here. So, uh, but I, I got my fingers crossed. I think I'll make it. So, yeah, well, let's let's the, try. The good news is I know there's nothing more than you enjoy than our biweekly chats. So uh, we will get right to it. But first, we want to make sure everybody subscribes to this podcast, likes it, reviews, tells their friends about it. I mean, we, we thank everybody who's listening, and we'd love to be able to share this with others. And Henrik, let's dive right into it. You uh, just returned home after the PGA Championship at uh, Harding Park. Um, what was it like out there? You know, we got to see it on TV, but, but being inside the ropes, you played with uh, Zach Johnson uh, the first couple of days, who was was actually in the lead uh, at one point during round one, and then missed the cut. Uh, what was it like out there in, in between the ropes with no fans at a major for the first time? Yeah, I, I guess you uh, you purposely uh, left uh, left calling out of out of that conversation, though, since I played with him too, who ended up was, being the champion. I was going to get to that in the next yeah. question. Yeah. So, do you want to start You're over? Rushing me, Henrik. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I played in Memphis, um, played uh, played at the PDA Championship. It was uh, it was fun to be back in action, see everyone again, and and uh, and, and competing again. But it, it's certainly a different feel to to play with no crowds. Uh, I had a few chats with some of my colleagues there in Memphis before before I played my first event back, and uh, yeah, they they certainly said that, and and uh, I, I can only only agree with them. It is a totally different thing than I heard Phil on on air when when he did some commentating and and uh, he, he raised the the point of us being able to to actually be a lot more productive in a way at at the events because you can move around in a in a much easier way and and not being uh, stopped uh, not just by by fans uh, which is which is uh, what we gladly do signing autographs for 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 the young ones and and all that but. Uh, but also less media and and some other things. So you can you can certainly be more in in your own little bubble and get about your practice and and your day in a, in a bit more productive way. But uh, still, the uh, the the lack of crowds and, and fans out there is is certainly missed. And uh, I hope we can we can get back to that um, as soon as possible. What did you see in the opening two rounds that gave you a hint that you were playing with the eventual champion? Uh, I wouldn't say uh, too much other than uh, that I could see that that Colin Morikawa is uh, is a very talented and and uh, and solid young player, um, very nice guy. First time I played with him and seems to be very much down to earth and and uh, uh, very very keen on on his golf uh, and and very professional in the way he he went about his 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 game and and things. Um, he he shot two under, I believe, the first two rounds that I played with him. So uh, made the cup with uh, with three to spare, and uh, went on and, and had a fantastic weekend. I saw he he shot five under on the on the Saturday and and put himself uh, uh, in, in the uh, in the outskirts of uh, of the top of the leaderboard, and and then uh, just played a, a phenomenal. Final round, bogey 364 uh, on a tough golf course, and and 
walk away with a trophy with, with two shots. Did you think there was a 64 out there? Yeah, I could definitely see it. And, and uh, maybe not for myself, but <laughs> I could definitely see, uh, see that score uh, around there. And, and normally uh, what tends to happen on, uh, on, the, on the weekends of, uh, of some of our, our big events, uh, they tend to ease up a little bit on, on one or two holes as well, uh, sometimes on the Saturday and sometimes on the, on the Sunday. And once again, the 16th was, was reachable um on uh, on s- sunday and uh, yeah that was i guess the the shot of the week or the the winning shot of the tournament is is drive up to about 6 feet and and uh, and an eagle there kind of sealed the sealed the tournament for him so uh, i think that's um, yeah we we can talk about golf course design later but i mean i love a drivable par 4 a risk and reward hole and especially around that time with the 15th or the 16th i think is a great place on the back nine to have it uh, for uh, for for the reasons that we saw here on Sunday. Agreed. I also thought that uh, Kerry Haig and the PGA of America just do such a great job of, of setting up the golf course. We saw it. Uh, I was staring at the 18th hole over and over and over for the last two days. And, and you would see players who would miss it in the left rough. Uh, Matsuyama comes to mind where he literally threw everything he had into a shot and maybe advanced the ball 60 or 70 yards. Um, where if, if you were like Matthew Wolf, who hit it, you know, 350 down the right side, took on the bunkers, only left himself about 130 and then made a great birdie. It really put a premium on, on shot making. Do you enjoy the PGA championship setup and, and how the golf courses present themselves to you? Yeah, I think over the years, it's always, uh, it's always been uh, viewed on as a, as a juiced up uh, regular tour setup, I'd say. So it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit tougher for sure. And I think Harding Park probably set up as, uh, as, uh, as hard as some of the PGA championships that we've seen because, uh, uh, it, it was it was tough out there. The rough was was very juicy, and uh, the fairways were, you know, medium width. I'd, I'd say they weren't super tight, but they certainly weren't over generous either. And then, uh, uh, what what made it hard for me on on a lot of them is that on, on, at TPC Arden Park, the, the there's quite a lot of dog legs, and if you don't like to shape the ball a lot, then you, you definitely feel like you got much tighter fairways because if you're on on the left side then you might not reach out and if you're on the right side you're going to run through so it's certainly set up uh, nicely for for someone to draw the uh, the ball I thought but uh, playing with Colin he seems um, to like to to fade it a little bit he, he was hitting a, a a small cut I'd say most of the times uh, with his driver it was interesting Henrik because on uh 18, and again, we watched the whole all day, so we were having these discussions among ourselves uh, with Olin Brown, who was who was the analyst, of if you had a multiple-shot lead on 18, would you just take a three-wood and just kind of aim at the bunkers knowing that they can't get to it? And Colin said no. He stepped up there and, and as you said, hit a huge cut with the driver, not huge in terms of the amount of cut, but hit a, a very lengthy cut and left himself uh, a short iron approach into the green, which was funny. He tugged it a little, but because he aimed to the, to the right center of the green, he actually put it right over the top of the flag. Um, which was which was very impressive way for him to finish it. Going into the week, I definitely thought it was going to be double digits uh, to be the score to win. 
just knowing how good how all of you are out there and and knowing that with the the marine layer and the potential for a win that they couldn't really push the course to the edge, nor that I think the PGA of America would do that. Did you see double digits uh, when you first showed up to the golf course early in the week? Yeah, absolutely. And and I thought we, we kind of were heading that way pretty quickly as well. And then uh, as is quite common as well, you see, uh, it's, it's always a little harder in the, in the later groups on, on Saturday and Sunday to, to normally shoot those really low, low scores as well. So you, you kind of have a couple of guys tend to finish up level one under, two under. There were a few shots ahead and then you have a couple of the guys who were a little bit further back. They, they, they kind of freewheel it a little bit more and, and put some lower scores in and it, it tends to be fairly bunched up. So I think, uh, I think we, we kind of had the same in Memphis the week before that it looked like the scores were going to be a lot lower. And then on, on Saturday, I don't think anyone really in the, in the later groups made a, made a move and, and all of a sudden it was, it was very bunched up again uh, around just into the, into the double digits. So, um, yeah, similar, similar kind of scoring from, from memory here. And, uh, uh, yeah, you see how con- condensed the, the leaderboard is a few, a few shots, one shot around uh, makes a huge difference there. If you, if you add that up o- over the four days, uh, it could be the difference from a top 10 or a, or a 40th. Uh, and, and that's certainly a, a big difference in the world ranking and the payouts at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. And and as you stated, that that shot that Colin hit on 16, uh, just threading the needle. We saw Denny McCarthy actually hit one a little closer a couple groups before, well, well, well before him. So we knew that it was possible. But to to what what do you think about such a young young player? Um, you know, a year ago he was in college, um, coming through with that type of pressure performance up against some of the biggest names. You know that 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 the game of golf has. What, what does that show about? Uh, the potential future uh, for for Colin uh, Morikawa. Yeah, it was uh, it was funny because uh, we actually had a little bit of a chat there since I'd not been out with him and don't know him. Uh, we, we had a little chat and, and uh, I ended up on the subject of of him and Victor Hovland and, and Matthew Wolf and they come out of college and and they all three uh, won pretty quickly here or very quickly uh, uh, we should say and. Uh, uh, yeah, and Colin said, "Yeah, I don't know if some of the other guys kind of graduating out of college and and coming out if they if they expect it to to kind of happen that quickly and and so on." And I said, "My my take on it these days are that the guys are are uh, kind of less afraid of of uh, of taking their spots and and feeling like they they deserve to to be out there and and have kind of equal rights in." In terms of uh, you know that they they're out on tour and why should I apologize for for myself being here? I think back in the day it might have been a little bit different when you first made it out on tour. You, you're just kind of looking at all the other guys on the driving range and 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 you feel like oh maybe I should try and find my spot here down down at the end of end of the range and 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 you you kind of work your way into it a little bit. I think they're, they're more fearless and. Um, they just they just come out and, and play really good golf, and uh, if if they play better than the other guys, then then they're gonna walk away with the trophy. And Colin here got his second win uh, just about a month ago, and then uh, yeah, totally uh, turns everything upside down here now by by winning 
his third tournament on tour in in a year's time and uh, and uh, also be becoming a major champion so very impressive and uh, uh, I, I saw the game he had uh, but uh, yeah I'm, I'm I, I can hopefully judge a good golf game when I see it but I'm not a fortune teller so I couldn't I couldn't tell anyone that it was going to happen the next two days but um, I'm glad for him and, and a very impressive performance. All right. We're going to get to a couple other PGA championship things, including your in and out order in a little bit, because I know I have inside knowledge. My spies once again have uh, confirmed that you did multiple trips to the in and out burger, which was right around the corner from the hotels uh, that we were staying at. But I did, uh, I would be remiss to ask you, um, what was the emotion like walking off uh, off of your 36th hole on, on Friday afternoon? And please don't throw something at me for asking. No, uh, no, it was it was disappointing. I, I have to say, I, I fought uh, I fought as hard as I could to uh, to be there for the weekend uh, with with the lack of, of tournament rounds and tournament play. I, w- I was certainly trying my utmost to to make sure I got seventy two holes in here at, at the PGA Championship and. Uh, I started off with a with a very soft bogey on the on the tenth hole on Thursday morning. Uh, hit a great drive, came out just short of a bunker, and kind of hit a hit a bad lob and and left it in the trap and and walked away with a six, my opening hole. And then after after all that grinding for for two full days, uh, it came down to the last hole. I needed to hit a, a six on in a hard crosswind from from two ten. Up to 18th, and uh, I just wasn't comfortable with uh, with some of the stuff uh, I was working on when in my swing and kind of uh, it, it was a poor execution. I went I went way too too rushed or too early with with the body and left the club behind and hit a kind of a semi semi fat and six on to the left and and uh, I think it clipped the top of the trees, came down in the hazard and left me with no chance for an up and down. So. Uh, yeah, it was it was all over on one bad swing on the on the thirty sixth hole, and it, it was disappointed. But uh, equally uh, as disappointed, apparently, we, uh, one guy reached out. He had put a bet in for fourteen players. Uh, he put five five uh, pound uh, English pounds on uh, on this bet, and it was for fourteen guys in the field to make the cut. And apparently, it comes down to me. Being the fourteenth that that blew his bet, so he was very unhappy with me. Uh, I have to say, it's impressive to get thirteen out of fourteen players to to make the weekend. Yeah. But uh, I guess I was the uh, I was the bad one, uh, <laughs> and uh, yet again, I disappoint. Well, you know what, Henrik? Let's do something nice for that gentleman. Let's send him an uh, Ask the Iceman T-shirt. So he may not have won all the money, but uh, if he can uh, reach back out to you on Twitter or wherever he contacted you. Uh, we'll we'll get his address and we'll uh, we'll send him one of those great T-shirts. I think we should. I should sweeten the deal. I should send him a, a five pound note as well. He I, he should have his his whole bet back. Okay. The whole five pounds. Well, that's just classy of you. Yeah, absolutely. That's classy. Plus, you saved all that money not buying <laughs> me dinners. You saved all that money not buying me dinners each night while we were while we were quarantined no, and traveling together. I, I thought you wouldn't pick up on that, but yeah, I, yeah I'm yeah. still on plus. Yeah, yeah, I noticed. I noticed. All right, let's go back to Memphis a little bit before we get to our Ask the Iceman uh, question. I have a few surprise questions. For what, you. what happened with the In and Out Burger? Well, I'm going to get to that a little bit later in the show. That's a tease, oh, okay. what we call in the business, Henrik, because people are dying to hear your In and Out. 
oh, yeah, okay. answer. But and not, if I not, give it not, now, not, then I'm they might ask. tune out. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not gonna answer it now. It's gone. All right. All right. Well, you know what? We'll we'll see if we can sneak it in later. Sixty-two pars in Memphis. Yeah. And that was a record. Yeah, since uh, that's the most pars in the 72 old tournament since yeah. 2000 or something. Correct. How proud are yeah. you of that record? I mean, have you, have you, not very much at all. Because, <laughs> you know, Annika, Annika, your, your, your fellow uh, Swede, you know, she, she's known as Miss 59. I was thinking about trying to start something as, you know, calling you 62 par or something. Yeah, yeah. Par 62. Yeah, Mr. Par 62. I mean, how great would that look on the golf cart next to the uh, to the Claire Jug? Um, I think we we focus on winning something better than that uh, right. than that nickname. Uh, it, was did, pars, it was a lot of pars. It was a lot of pars. Like I said, I even had to fight really hard for a few of them. But uh, yeah, I just didn't. Uh, I didn't hit it close enough to to have good enough birdie chances. Uh, Throughout the whole week, uh, obviously, I I had some chances and and definitely didn't capitalize on on all of them. But putting was was average in in Memphis. But I was a lot of time between twenty five and and thirty five forty feet away, and I hit a lot of greens and uh, but just didn't get it close enough. So um, yeah, then you're gonna end up with with a lot of pars. And uh, I mean, if I look at the the scores, I shot 69, 69, 70, 69, 70, 72, I think. So I virtually shot a 70 average over, over these six tournament rounds. So definitely no catastrophes. But, uh, I mean, when, when we're up against the best players in the world, you, you better you better deliver a, a, a few numbers uh, a little bit better than that if you if you want to be uh, want to be seen uh, at the at the top 10 or top 20 in the, uh, in the result list. Gina Henrik at, at Callaway and at CallawayGolf.com. We're always trying to come up with new content ideas. I, I think the, the one that this kind of spurred is I'm going to try to convince three of my colleagues um, at work, probably grab Lex, Matt Browning, and we'll see who the fourth will be. Probably Ethan, because he's pretty, pretty consistent. We're going to go play golf on a weekend and see how many holes it takes us where cumulatively all four of us have to make total of 62 pars. What would you think for, uh, you know, amateur golfers? How many whole, how many days would we have to play? Years, months? Well, so if it's four of you, uh, well, yeah, it would, it would take a little while though, wouldn't it? Well, that's the whole point of the content is we're going to see how long it would take. So I'd love people to maybe comment in the suggestions below as you're listening to the pod, see how long you think it'll take us to do it. We'll call it the, the Mr. 62 Par Challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Let me know how you get on. I, I can tell you're sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for that one. <laughs> one last question uh, about the PGA Championship, and then I'm going to give you a little bit of Wanamaker trivia before we do Ask the Iceman, is how did the the marine layer, the fog, they call it Carl, how did that affect your ball flight? What was your percentage? Like I heard Bryson say at one point he was 202 ball speed in Memphis, but he was struggling to get to the 190s. In, in the Bay Area, what was your sort of magic formula to figure out distances? Yeah, it was uh, certainly taking uh, taking a bit of oomph uh, out of the out of the shots uh, when it's uh, a lot. And I think it is probably even worse when you're coming from a place like Memphis, where it was super hot and yeah. warm. Uh, you're in a t-shirt, you're feeling loose, you're going to hit it. It's absolute maximum distance that week and then 
you you peel it back and and you you got two or three layers on at times and and it's uh, in the 50s and and you got the fog and everything else so it's uh, yeah totally different conditions to to play golf in and uh, it, it felt like it was a, it was a good club difference uh, I'd, I'd say you, you could you could probably add you could probably add uh, if it was a perfect six iron yardage you could almost hit a five iron uh, that was a, a, a good enough uh, guess, I thought. Yeah, well, it was certainly interesting to watch. And one of the other interesting pieces I saw on uh, the ESPN coverage was they did this Wanamaker trivia. And uh, the best was Padraig Harrington, who I think they asked a total of like 10 or 15 questions, didn't get any of them right. Holter uh, had, had a <laughs> great, great since when since, uh, since Padraig's won it as well. He, I know, he would have thought he, he, he would get one which of them is why right. Pol- which is why Poulter was so funny because when he got the wrong, he's like, see, this is why I have not held or won this championship because I don't know this information. So I'm going to ask you three questions. Is the yeah. Wanamaker trophy heavier than the average amount of pizza Americans consume in weight? What is heavier, the Wanamaker trophy or the average amount of pizza? That the average American consume in one year. In one year. Uh, it's heavier. You are correct. The average American consumes less weight. I'll give the weights after we're done with this. Is the trophy heavier than an average two-year-old? Yes. You are correct. You are good at this. Is the trophy heavier than a cinder block? Now it gets tricky. What's a cinder block? Well, cinder block is a piece of uh, masonry that uh, is used in construction, kind of that gray... Um, ah, okay, okay. Um, uh, it is heavier. It is not. So you were two for three. The trophy weighs thirty-seven pounds. The average American eats about twenty-three pounds of uh, pizza a year, and a cinder block is well over forty pounds. Okay, but two out oh, of three, yeah. you did way better than uh, almost everybody else that we asked. So congratulations. And speaking of asking, it's time for Ask the Iceman. Please submit your questions to Henrik's social media, either on Twitter or on Instagram. Um, and here are the three questions we have this week. And by getting your question asked on the podcast, you will get a T-shirt that neither Henrik and I have yet to receive of our own. Uh, <laughs> William Miller wants to know, I understand you are the king of pranks on the tour. Has anyone ever pranked you back? If so, what was it? Yeah, I have to say, um, yeah, I, I like a good practical joke and, and there's been a few, uh, few paybacks over the years. And I think one that comes to mind was uh, on the European tour in Abu Dhabi a few years back. And uh, this must have been in yeah January 2017. And I had already in the pro am done quite a few interviews and stops on the back nine that were started, and then now we're coming around and we're on the first tee, and they had that uh, uh, reporter. So you had uh, you had Chris Wood, I think, and uh, Nicholas Coltsert were sitting in a tent, and they had this guy pretend to be a reporter, and they were uh, shouting things in his ear to ask the players, and and I mean it was a uh, it was it was a, a funny stitch up and and uh, I think I was on the verge with my patience a little bit as well because I'd already been uh, doing a lot of things out there in the program and you know you don't want to 
take the time away from the from your your guests and your pro am partners so i was i was getting a little little uh, short maybe with this guy in the end and and it turned out they were they were just dying from laughter and and the whole thing was recorded and uh, it was just not me it was a few other guys who who uh, who got uh, done here at this uh, practical joke but it's uh, that's that's one that comes to mind i'm sure there's there's more that that i can that i can try and dig out all right well we'd like to hear more of those as our podcast journey continues next one from joe bauer i mean i think i could even answer this one where do you rank your battle with phil during the open in your career of wins well, I mean, it can't be as be, high as making 62 pars in Memphis. <laughs> it's a little bit higher than that. Um, I don't know how many pars I made at uh, Troon, actually. You can you can look that up for before next episode of, of the podcast. Okay. Uh, but, but I know I, I made a lot more birdies than I did in Memphis, and hence the outcome at, at Troon. So, yeah, that ranks number one, no question. It's, uh, it's my... My best performance, uh, my best final round, and and with everything on the line, and and I mean a championship record and and everything else that goes with it. So uh, yeah, that's that's the number one. All right, I would try to look it up right now, but I'm sure I would just simply get things like "Is Henrik Stenson hurt? Is Henrik Stenson not healthy?" That seems to be the question <laughs> everyone seems to ask of you. Uh, next one from Reiner Vandenton. I love this question. Are you the next 007? Well, I guess we can we can shower up and jump in a tuxedo, and uh, we we might uh, we might qualify for uh, for uh, yeah for a double at least. Maybe right, not the double like, O zero seven. I mean, maybe zero. maybe you could be like <laughs> like maybe zero six two. You could be like Agent sixty two par. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll give it a shot. Okay. I'm sure I'm sure we can find some better uh, some better candidates, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. Who would be the best 007 on tour? Uh, I know that Alvaro Quiros, uh, a Spanish uh, player, good friend of mine, he's uh, he's in love with uh, with James Bond. He, he's watched all the movies and and uh, seen them numerous uh, numerous times and. Uh, uh, he loves it. So uh, if you ask him, uh, he would be the best one. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that we can, we, can, we can find a few. We can find a few. My, uh, my stock answer, as, uh, as it is to everything, who's going to win championships? Tommy Fleetwood. Yeah. You think, Tommy, could you have that kind of hairdo if you want to be 007? I think it would completely change the game of 007. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would be easy for uh, for uh, for Q to uh, to hide a lot of special yeah. weapons in his hair and all the rest of it. So yeah, I That's can see you going with this. That's true. Plus, again, I, I use your logic from a couple of years ago. Is every time anyone asked me who's going to win any particular event prior to it starting, and I did it again this week when asked, I just said Tommy Fleetwood. Yeah, one day we're going to be bomb. right. Yeah, absolutely. And then that's the only clip we're going to play. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, Henrik, speaking of clip, that was a really good transition by you. It's almost like you're following along the format. Um, each week on the podcast, we love to get your reaction to a viral video. And uh, this one, you're going to have to do the pronunciation here because I, I am probably going to butcher this, but this was crazy on the European tour uh, at the Hero Open. Talk, talk us through uh, who's doing what and, and how this is going to go down. 
Yeah, so this is uh, a, a Swedish uh, friend of mine, uh, Joel Sjöholm, Joel Sjöholm, mm. uh, who's uh, hits a interesting, I guess, uh, second shot on this whole, ended up on this little island in the hazard. Yeah. And uh, I guess they got this boat there to, to put the, the, the sponsors' uh, signs out there for the telecast. And right. He's pulling himself across to uh, to go out, and, and he obviously sees his ball on the island. And oh, he almost went in there. It. Oh yeah, the, this. Uh, I mean, you you can tell that he's not he's not really used to being on a boat. I mean, no, he's doing well. You you can almost say that he he's probably not even used to being on an island here. He can he can fall in at any moment. It looks like, but uh, I know the outcome. He uh, he managed to. Uh, to uh, to play his way out of there, I don't know if for better or worse, but he he gets the ball out. I don't know if he makes a bogey or a double or he whatever, makes a bogey. Yeah, so watch this. So he does this, and then he chips up, misses the putt, and makes bogey. What what's the craziest? I mean, we we talked about it in the last episode uh, when you when you literally had to to strip down to your underwear to hit a shot. I'm assuming that's the craziest. But what's the craziest thing you've ever seen where where someone had to whether it's go in a boat. Um, you know what, what? What's the craziest thing you've seen that that someone's done to try to play a ball? Uh, I mean, Sean van der Velde on eighteen at uh, Canusti when when he gets his mm-hmm. shoes and socks off and stands there with with the whole drama and everything going on. That that was a crazy moment. Uh, obviously, me in the uh, in the underwear at the row. Uh, but there's been a few other guys. Uh, one that's funny though. Um, Woody Austin, when he when he played that shot off of the bank and and he fell in backwards, right? And they yes, uh, they, he came out with a with a snorkeling gear the next day, called him Aquaman or something, right? Scuba Aquaman, 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 yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's been it's been a few. I, I played with a guy at a European uh, championship. This is before I turned pro, and it was a Danish player. We played down in southern France, and similar lie. He was on a bank. Uh, and he hits this shot, and and he's got a two lofted club. The ball is on an upslope, and he just falls backwards into the. So he's at the same time he's laying back into the lake. He kind of reaches up and grabs the ball because it's it's right on top of him, and so he's he's holding his own ball that he just clipped off the off the bank when he's just falling back into the into the lake. So we uh, we encourage it's more dangerous dangerous game. Yeah, we encourage more tour pros to uh, try these shots like that and make sure that their camera is recording <laughs> so we can uh, kind of break them down. All right. Next thing I want to talk about is a little bit about architecture. I was going to bring up kind of the uh, the inner loop and the outer loop of Harding, but someone gave me a great idea to talk about a drivable par four and where on the golf course is it ideal. Uh, we, we saw it at 16 this week. Seven was actually drivable uh in theory, one of the days as well. What's your your take as a uh, as as an architect on drivable par fours, and where do you like to see them in the round? Yeah, I, mean, I think uh, Harding Park got it absolutely perfect here. Uh, like like I briefly said, the fifteen or sixteen, I think is is ideal uh, in terms of uh, competition. Uh, you want to have it towards the end there. You want it to be. Uh, 17 is fine too. I mean, you can anywhere, but I think 15 or 16 would be my my preferred choice. But 
uh, at the Majlis course in Dubai. We have it on number 17, and that works really well too. And um, some other courses, I, mean, R- I know now. Riviera has 10. Riviera yeah. has 10. TPC Scottsdale has 17, which I remember when you were seeing Andrew McGee make a hole-in-one on that one, which was, yeah. uh, which was yeah. absolutely crazy. McCarthy got close to the hole-in-one. Uh, the other day, it, what is your strategy for for go for it versus versus layup? Is it mostly due to hole location or scenario where you are in the event? Pin position plays a really big part. Uh, a lot of times, these short uh, drivable par fours would have uh, kind of a small tricky green, um, uh, the same way as you would normally have that on the short par five as well. You would have a, a really tricky. A green complex and and uh, depending on where you put the pin it gives totally different angles and you got the wind direction and and everything but there were a few uh, few observations i made uh last week uh, both watching it on on tv a little bit like i did on the saturday before i uh, i traveled um uh, and uh and also with some of the guys playing behind me both on number seven and and 16 there that's uh uh, there were a few guys who actually laid up on 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 some of the pin positions, uh, some place that had a lot of length, and I definitely thought, out of a strategic standpoint, they should blast it uh, as far up the left they could on number seven, because the pin was it, it's probably the tightest pin that we've ever seen on on that uh, uh, front bit on on that green on on the on the Friday, and the boys playing behind me, if they would have hit it up there which they certainly had the firepower to do they they could have had some easy chips from the side because it was a it was a really really tricky pin to get close to if you laid up so i think sometimes it could be um, just a a bad call out of the strategic standpoint with the player and their caddy um and and the same you saw how tong lee uh, trying to to hit it close on on Saturday on that pin there with a gusty wind with a with a gap or with a sand iron or lob wedge and just came up a yard short and it turns into disaster and makes uh, makes bogey I think and and uh, same there if you if you can get it up the the right hand side even if you're in the rough you open up the angle and, and you can chip it on and and give yourself a good birdie chance but at the same time and and uh, I'll be the first one to hold my hand up there I mean if you're not feeling Good with your three wood or with your driver or whatever. It's it's always hard to to force those decisions as well. But sometimes it's it's definitely a uh, a go ahead just because of the angle and where you can get to on a hole like that. The same way as uh, sometimes it's just a no no because unless you hit the perfect shot, you're going to be totally blocked out and then you're better off ninety yards back in the fairway. So the interesting holes give a lot of options and. Uh, I think every every golf course should have at least one of them. I agree. And the good news is my golf club does have one, the 16th hole. So next time you're out this way on the West Coast, we can uh, we you can go we watch can... me lay up, and I can watch you uh, take <laughs> on the green. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Um, we are going to switch to the mental game. So this is where I think I, I don't remember anyone having this scenario before. The, the, your next starts, your consecutive starts are going to be in majors, uh, right? We just finished yeah, the PGA, yeah, and your next will, one's going to be the U.S. Open. Yeah, because of uh, of the situation here when we locked down, I virtually played no golf. Uh, I took the decision not to try and play every week here in the summer to to have a chance to to make it into the playoffs. So I 
um, took a little bit of extra time uh, time off and uh, came back, played these events, and I'm, I'm really looking looking ahead for for next season and, and the majors that we got left in 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 2020 here. So uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be different. I'm back in Sweden here for a couple of weeks and then travel back with the family. I'll have uh, I'll have about three weeks in Orlando to um, to get ready and um, and try and be a little bit sharper than I was here at the PGA when we go to Winged Foot uh, Golf Course. I've I've played in in '06. Uh, was actually my first uh, my first US Open um, and uh, had a decent week there when when Jeff Ogilvy. Uh, one uh, with both uh, Colin Montgomery and Phil Mickelson making doubles, I think, coming up the oh, last yeah. when they both had a chance to uh, to win the U.S. Open there. So, you know, the, the, the U.S. Open, you know what the setup's going to be when they go to a traditional venue like Wingfoot. It's going to be the thickest rough. They're going to have the, the, the whole locations on the edge of, of, one could say, sanity. How do you mentally prepare yourself when you're practicing at, at Lake Nona, which is not a U.S. Open course, how do you prepare yourself for the U.S. Open? Do you ask them to, to, to maybe like move all the hole locations to like literally the very edge of every ridge, like one on and stuff and grow the rough? Or do you have some rough in your backyard that you, you, you grow to kind of practice hacking it out of? Or what, what do you do? No, I think uh, hacking out of the rough is, is normally not too hard. Uh, it's uh, it's getting it up and down with a wedge from 130 yards. That's going to be the hard part. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that, that's kind of a uh, it, it's a bit of a tricky one because down in Florida, I mean, we we don't have the same rough. It's going to be Bermuda that I will practice on, uh, and the uh, I mean, the the key point is is feeling like you're you're a good good shape with your game that you you're in control of your swing your movements and and the ball starts where you want it to and you can shape it and and if you've got those things working for you then you can kind of play it on on any any given golf course the the work up in new york in the in the uh, in the days before the event would obviously be to find the the green speed and and work on those shots uh, out of bunkers and uh, and the rough around the greens. Uh, those are, are the uh, are the things you will have to get uh, familiar with and, and dial in on those three or four days that you have uh, prior to the event. Uh, uh, and, and then strategically come up with a good plan. Um, normally, I would have. Uh, I mean, in my in my planning, if if we would have played the U.S. Open in June. When I was on my way back to to play in Sweden, I should have uh, I should have stopped in New York and and played around at Wingfoot to uh, to kind of freshen up the memory a little bit and and, and feel like I had already been around it at least once uh, before I showed up for the event. So there, there's some things that we're kind of missing out on, but uh, like I said, I played it once before, even though it's uh, it's nearly 15 years ago. Uh, I still still remember it pretty good and and uh, uh, the setup like you said is uh, something that we we see very similar most years at the US Open and uh, it's going to be down to is the golf course playing firm and hard or is it going to be a bit softer and and receptive for the for the approaches uh, yeah there's there's a lot of questions but they I'm not too worried for for the most part but of course like wing foot um, 
in, in terms of where we're, you know, to me, a lot of it's going to be the mental ability. I mean, we joke about the 62 pars, 62 pars will un, almost unquestionably win at, at Wingfoot based on what we've seen in the past. Mentally, how do you get yourself ready for that moment when you know you hit three or four great golf shots on a hole and the hole still so penal that that you walk away with with the bogey? How do you work on that? Because I will be honest with you, I, that would anger me. I would not like that. Yeah, uh, patience is uh, is key. Um, I mean, the the USGA, uh, as we know, they they want to try and uh, or have have been wanting to to make this uh, uh, as much of a of a mental test as as a golf test at times, and and setting up the golf course right on the edge, and and we've seen it uh, more than a few occasions where where it's uh, at least in mine and and some other players' opinion that that it kind of goes overboard a little bit and. Um, yeah, uh, Pebble was was certainly a, a different uh, different setup in that sense. They, uh, I thought they could have pushed Pebble probably a little bit harder, but I feel like with the with the uh, kind of coming off the year before, coming off Shinnecock the year before, yeah. they they were a bit afraid to to go anywhere near that. So we'll see where we end up with that. But it's uh, you, you got to be able to take the hits and and keep on going and accept your mistakes and. Uh, minimizing them, not turning a uh, a bogey into a double bogey, and because uh, the the birdies come pretty hard at uh, at major championships and and U.S. Opens maybe in in, in particular. So uh, yeah, minimizing your mistakes, and then if you don't have patience, you're not going to have a good week. That's that's pretty much uh, a guarantee. All right, um, do you want my predictions to who's going to win? Uh, Tommy Fleetwood. Tommy Fleetwood. All right. Uh, tour story. Speaking about someone who has not won a major, um, we did get a, a few minutes to uh, kind of connect in uh, in San Francisco. We really found one of the one of the most scenic points in in, in really the entire city. Um, the lovely Adirondack chairs overlooking uh, the bay and the airport. Um, and you told me a, a <laughs> funny story about uh, Ian Poulter when he had a, a chance to potentially win the Open Championship. Uh, I think that'd be a great tour story. Um, to relate, especially as we're we're coming off a major championship. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, yeah, so this uh, true story. This plays out back in two thousand and eight. We're at uh, uh, Royal Birkdale. Uh, Ian is on the eighteenth hole. Uh, I think he was in a greenside trap or having a pitch. Uh, he, he had missed the green and and hit a a, a little. Uh, Short game shot around the green to about eight feet, I think seven or eight feet. Uh, he, he now has this putt for par, and Padre is still on the seventeenth. Uh, he will then go on and make an eagle, but uh, and and take a two shot lead, I think, going up the last. But this is uh, this is before that happens, so uh, it's very much uh, I think tied at the lead, top of the leaderboard with Poulter on the eighteenth and Padre then uh, probably at seventeenth. So Ian, I got this putts. Uh, his caddy Terry uh, has not been called in for a single putts, either for the at least for the round, I believe, but maybe not for the whole championship. And on the 18th, the most important putts, Ian looks over at him and and calls him in. And and I mean Terry is like, oh my gosh, he's never never asked me once this week uh, or, or today, and now he's calling me in on 18 here to. To give my opinion, if this putt is going to go uh, half an inch to the left or to the right here, so he's he's not feeling 
too sure about himself, I guess, walking over. And then Ian just looks at him and says, uh, uh, you know, when you were a kid and you're standing on that putting green, imagine you have a seven footer for, uh, for the, for the open championship. And Terry goes, yes. Ian says, well, I have that putt now. So you can, you can, uh, get your ass out of here so I can focus <laughs> on my putts. And Ian being Ian, uh, he just stands up there and, and, and drains this putt right in the middle of the hole. Like he's done nothing else. And, uh, yeah, the, the outcome wasn't uh, what he wanted, but it, it was just such a funny moment uh, when he you can see he really uh, get Terry into it. And he's like, yeah, 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 I remember, I remember those. And it's like, yeah, I have mine, so now you can get the heck out of here. So I love it. Take I this love moment. It. So yeah, it was a great story. Caddy player relations are still some of my favorite uh, things. And in a future episode. I think we should try to get a, a few folks that have uh, caddied for you on as guests to to let them kind of roast you a little bit. That'll be kind of a uh, yeah, uh, a, I can, a fun yeah, episode. I'm up, we I'm, can do. I'm up for it. I'm up for it. I know you're always into that. All right, this day in obscure Henrik Stenson history actually is two days, Henrik. Uh, it was last Tuesday or Monday, and then also on Saturday uh, when I messaged you and you were well. One time you told me that I messaged you were in and out. Um, you know, again, you know, we, we weren't really allowed to go to restaurants and stuff like that and do sit down dinners. But please tell the world your go to in and out burger order. Uh, yeah, I don't think it was anything, uh, anything special, special, but it was the, the double double. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was the chocolate shake. Uh, yeah, I had, I think I had uh, three double doubles and three chocolate shake last week uh in san francisco so uh yeah i enjoyed the i enjoyed those little pit stops on the way back from the golf course in the drive-through well i mean that's that's three double doubles and three chocolate shakes that's like breakfast for bryson DeChambeau. oh so maybe it wasn't that bad after all then no not at all <laughs> not at all but you don't do do you know the secret menu at an burger? no you don't know the secret menu no Oh my goodness. We're going to have to have a long conversation. There's an entire secret menu. You could get things animal style. You could do things to the shake to modify it. Uh, they have all kinds of crazy secret things on the menu. We'd love to hear from you, our listeners. Tell us your favorite in and out order. I can't believe you don't know the secret menu. How You cannot be James Bond if you don't know the secret menu at in and out Burger. How are you going to be able to thwart the bad guys? James Bond don't, don't eat in and out Burger. Well, depending who the next James Bond is, maybe or maybe not. All right, Henrik, I'm going to let you get to sleep because we've done almost an hour here with you. And uh, what time is it uh, currently in, uh, in in Sweden? It's hard to me to tell uh, if it's still light. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's probably about 8.30 at night, but uh, I, I didn't get much sleep on, on the flight. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to enjoy this, uh, this sleep tonight. I don't think there's anything better than going to bed when you're jet lagged and, and it just you you you've gone in an instant there and and uh, unfortunately at times you wake up like three hours later and and it's in in the middle of the night and now you're ready to go so we'll we'll see about that part but at least to just lay back and and feel like you you're almost floating in water and uh and just going to going to sleep when you're that tired that's that's a nice feeling i think Absolutely. Well, I will not message you while you're doing that. Uh, but thank you so much for uh, for spending almost an hour with 
with everybody really giving us some great insights on to your experience, both at Memphis, but especially at the PGA Championship. Uh, Colin Marikawa, great champion and excited to uh, to see where where his his career goes. And we'll always be able to say that he started his victorious major champion. And they really the only reason I think he won it was because he was paired with you for the first two rounds. Well, you want to know a side story then? I, I played with uh, with Zach when I, uh, when I won a Troon for the first two days. Oh. Oh. So, Zach, to you, to Colin. So, what I'm taking from this is if gambling were legal, whoever Colin's playing with at the U.S. Open, one of those two gentlemen will win. And guess what I just heard is breaking news. You know who they're going to pair with Colin at the U.S. Open? Jeff Newbart. Tommy Fleetwood. <laughs> okay, yeah, we'll see if that uh, if that uh, torch passing will will work uh, at Wingfoot. But yeah, if I can't does, get in, I can't get in. There's ev- no qualifying. Everyone, everyone, everyone heard it here. Yeah, of course. And we will of no. course play that clip over and over and over. Henrik, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Please again remember rate, subscribe, review. Go to CallawayGolf.com. Check out some of the other great content that is there. And we will see you in two weeks, where Henrik will be busy preparing for the next major, the U.S. Open. Thanks, everybody, for listening.